Our gracious God and Father, as we come to look more closely at your word together, we do pray that your Holy Spirit will show us wonderful things in your word that we may see Jesus more clearly and seeing him may trust him. For we ask this in his name. Amen. What on earth do we make of an account like the one we've just read? A man with the evil spirit is living among the tombs, and then these evil spirits, because in fact there are many of them, end up in a herd of pigs, causing the whole herd to charge over a cliff like lemmings. Uh, Such things are not in my experience, and I doubt they've been in yours. Now, some people simply dismiss such stories of demon possession as a primitive superstition. So one Bible commentator referring to this incident remarked that, although there is no doubt that the early Christians and Jesus himself believed in such occurrences, we ourselves cannot accept it without falling into superstition. Can I just say, what a wonderful example of cultural and chronological snobbery that is. There are many cultures in our world today where people readily recognize the existence and power of evil spirits. And even if such incidents seem extraordinary to many of us in the West, it still amazes me how people are prepared to call themselves Christians whilst at the same time denying what Jesus himself clearly thought and taught. So some deny the existence of the devil and the spiritual forces of evil, but others go to the other extreme and see demon possession around every corner. So if someone is addicted to drugs, they must have a demon of addiction. Or someone has an anger problem, they must have a demon of rage. And up spring a whole host of deliverance ministries. Well, what do we make of it all? Well, from uh, chapter 4, verse 35, to the end of chapter 5, Mark records for us four uh, stories, four accounts, each of which demonstrate Jesus' power. So at the end of chapter 4, the passage we looked at last week, Jesus calms a storm, showing his power, his authority over nature. In the passage that we're looking at, we see Jesus' power over the spiritual forces of evil, in other words, uh, the devil, Satan. And in the rest of chapter 5, which we shall be looking at next week, we see Jesus' power over sickness and even death itself. Those four destructive forces are enemies of mankind both then and now. The uncontrolled forces of nature, Satan, sickness, death. But of those four, the power of the devil, of Satan, of evil spirits, is the one I suspect we are least conscious of. We've all seen on our TV screens the devastations that's brought by drought and storm. We've all witnessed the the power and misery of sickness and death. But where do we see the power of Satan, of the spiritual forces of evil at work today? So as we look at this story together, we're going to first consider the destructive power of Satan. Then we're going to look at the wholesome power of Christ 
over Satan. And finally, we're going to consider people's uh, response to that power of Jesus. So that's where we're going. And so first, the destructive power of Satan. So Jesus and all the New Testament writers are adamant about the existence of the devil and spiritual uh, forces of evil. And in verses 3 to 5, we have a picture of what happens uh, when Satan gets control over human beings. And it is a devastating picture. So physically, mentally, and socially, this man is a disaster area. Physically, he's violent and out of control. Mentally, well, he's a wreck. And socially, he's an outcast. He prefers to live alone among the dead in a cemetery than among ordinary people. This man is alive. He has a heart beating and air in his lungs, but to all intents and purposes, he is dead. He's taken up arms against everyone. He's at war with God. He's at war with his fellow human beings. He's at war with himself. This is the power of Satan or the spiritual force of evil. They're not only very great, they're utterly destructive. And mankind is helpless and hopeless in the face of their power. This is the point that Mark wants to drive home to us in verses 3 and 4. Have a look. We're told in verse 3 that no one could bind him. And in verse 4, that no one could subdue him. No one could do anything for this man who had come under the influence of the spiritual forces of evil. They were completely powerless. But all this still seems quite a long way from London in the year 2023, doesn't it? We don't dwell in tombs like this man. We dwell in flats and houses and bedsits. We're not sitting here naked. As Luke at his account tells us this man uh, was and Mark implies. No, we're sitting the very best that M&S and ASOS can buy. It seems uh, ridiculous to take the story of a demon-possessed man who is helpless and hopeless under Satan's power and suggest that there is an analogy with us today. But that is exactly what Jesus and his apostles do. To save us uh, looking them up, I'm going to put on, up on the screen two passages which talk about the, the grip that uh, Satan has on people in this world. The first, well, that comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, where Paul writes how before God intervened in their lives, they, like the rest of mankind, followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's another name for Satan. Who, he adds, is the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. So uh, Satan, the great destroyer, is the ruler of our present age. Ever since uh, mankind fell and turned his back on God, we have been in his grip, human beings. We have listened to his lies, and the destruction caused by our willing compliance of them has been immense. What has been the result in the last let's just take it, just over 100 years, of the godless ideas of 
communism, fascism, secularism, racism, nationalism, materialism. A third of the population of Cambodia wiped out in the killing fields. Six million Jews gassed in the Holocaust. Literally hundreds of millions slaughtered in the revolutions of China and Russia. Hundreds of thousands killed in the genocides of Bosnia and Rwanda. Extreme poverty and exploitation, rubbing uh, alongside the obscene accumulation of wealth. And then we see actually numerous examples in our own society of people being a bit like this man in our story. We said this man was physically violent and out of control. That's not quite a good description, isn't it, of some gang culture in the inner city and of some households where there's domestic abuse. We said he was mentally wrecked. Well, in our society today, we pay more attention to Twitter and horoscopes and Netflix and social media than we do to the Word of God. And we said that socially this man was a self-chosen outcast and laner. Well, one of the, the features of our society at the moment is that people are becoming more and more isolated. We spend more time on our own in front of computers and mobiles than interacting with our neighbours. Rishi Sunak may be our Prime Minister and lead the government, but according to the Bible, actually, the real ruler of this country, along with the rest of the world, is, is the devil, is Satan. But that is only half the story, for Satan's concern lies not primarily with this world, but the next. And the second passage is taken from uh, 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul is defending his uh, apostolic ministry. And among other things, he says that the reason people are not responding to the gospel that he's been preaching is because the God of this age, gang, that is another name for Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And why has Satan blinded the minds of unbelievers? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is a murderer. That is what Jesus says about him in John's gospel. And so he blinds people to the gospel so that they may perish eternally. I suspect that Satan is perfectly happy for Londoners to be comfortable, well-off, even happy. So long as they remain blind to the things of God and are dead in their sins. Satan is perfectly happy for people to view him as a mythical figure, wearing red tights and carrying an oversized uh, uh, toasting fork. Because he knows that whilst people think of him as some sort of figure like that, then they won't take him seriously or recognize his power over them. We may not have come across demon possession as marked and as obvious as it was with this man. Nevertheless, our country, our world, 
is in Satan's grip. But then, this helpless and hopeless man, who is under Satan's power, comes face to face with Jesus. Uh, Look at uh, uh, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. No one could subdue this man. No one could help him. But now here he is, meekly on his knees before Jesus, and the evil spirit within him is crying out for mercy. So let's now consider the wholesome power of Jesus over Satan. So Satan's power is great and utterly destructive, but in the face of Jesus and the gospel, it crumbles. So we must uh, remove from our thinking any thoughts of uh, the devil or the spiritual force of evil being able to thwart God's plans and purposes. Uh, The devil and God are not two equal forces fighting it out. Any power and authority that Satan has over mankind has been given to him by God. Now, I know that causes some of us problems, and there isn't uh, time to explore that in uh, uh, more detail, other than to say that Satan's present rule of this world is part of God's punishment for mankind's rebellion. We've rejected God's word and his rule, and so God hands us over to the master we have chosen to serve. We live under the rule of Satan and his lies. Uh, If you want to talk more about that afterwards, please do come and grab me after the service. But the point is this. At the end of the day, the devil is no more than God's servant who must do his bidding. He's not a willing servant. Uh, He he, he hates uh, the, the master who's over him. And we'll do everything he can to try and thwart him. But at the end of the day, that is all he is. And the devil realizes this. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. See, the devil knows where his ultimate destiny lies. See, people today might not believe in hell, but Satan does. Uh, He may be a liar, but he's not liberal in his theology. He knows only too well, when he's forced to think about it, that he will end up in the eternal fire that God has prepared for him. But that time hasn't yet come. It will come when Jesus returns, but in the meantime, Jesus grants these evil spirits their request to enter the pig's. Now, being a nation of animal lovers, we get very upset about the pigs. When I used to teach uh, Mark's uh, gospel in a school for O-level, it was then, shows how old I am, um, every time we came to this passage, there was an outcry 
uh, from the students about the pigs. Why did Jesus allow the evil spirits to enter the pigs? Well, they're not explicitly told, but it shows us again not only the destructiveness of Satan, but also the great worth that Jesus puts on an individual's life. We, we tragically often treat human life cheaply. But God doesn't. We are infinitely precious to him. And it is far better in Jesus' eyes that 2,000 pigs perish than this man remain in the situation he was in. And think also what assurance and comfort it would have been for that demon-possessed man to visibly see how the spirits had left him and gone into the pigs. The assurance that they had gone. They no longer controlled him. Anyway, the herdsmen who had seen what had gone on rushed back to the town and tell all. And when uh, people come out to see what had been going on, they see this man who had been violent and out of control, deranged and naked, a, a terror which uh, no one could deal with or, or, or do anything about. And they see him, what? Sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. See, if the demon-possessed man among the tombs is a picture of what happens when God is rejected and when Satan's power is unleashed in society, the same man sitting at Jesus' feet and in his right mind is a wonderful picture of the power and purpose of God in Jesus. See, Jesus' work is to bring wholeness and life to people where previously there's only been rebellion, aimlessness, and death. Satan, the devil, the father of lies, tells us that we find life when we get our own way and we can do what we want. And we have believed him and found ourselves in a miserable slavery from which we can't escape. But Jesus has come to undo the works of the evil one to subdue uh, Satan and bring people back under God's rule. And it's as people today hear and respond to the good news about Jesus, they, they are delivered from Satan's grip. It's actually the great irony, isn't it, of the gospel. We're not set free from the power of Satan so that we might actually become kind of independent beings. They were taken from a slavery, a slavery to Satan and to sin and death, so that we might be brought into, well, we could call it another slavery. But this is not an oppressive slavery. No, this is slavery to God and whose service is perfect freedom. A, A slavery in which we're not ensnared and abused, but in which we are loved. And actually in which we are released to flourish. And friends, just worth asking us whether we appreciate the freedom that God has given us in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if Christ has done a saving work in you, he has has released you from the grip of the spiritual forces of evil. 
And you need never fear that the devil or one of his minions could ever possess you because you're now indwelt and possessed by him. His Holy Spirit lives in us. Nor are you any longer bound by the devil's lies. You realize that? Because God has opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel about himself and he's giving you his word of truth. All we need to be free from the devil's lies is to make sure that we know his word and to judge what we hear in society and in uh, our lives by what we hear in this book. You no longer have to cower under Satan's accusation of your sin. Yes, sin is tragically a reality in our lives, but Christ died to release us from sin's power. It no longer has a hold on us. I no longer have to sin. We belong now to a different master in whose service is perfect freedom. And friends, because Jesus' power over the spiritual force of evil is absolute, we need not despair when we find ourselves in situations where it seems that evil forces have the upper hand and are winning the day. We needn't fear. We need not give up hope when we see loved ones who are blinded by the devil's lies and who are hardening their hearts towards God. We can pray. And we can keep on praying for God to act in mercy. God is able to release them from Satan's grip. He did it for you. If you're trusting in Jesus, he can do it for them. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep praying. So Christ releases this man from Satan's clutches. He brings about a mighty revolution, turning a a crazed demoniac into a whole person. And so let's finally consider people's responses to the wholesome power of Jesus. And we get the first one in verse 17. So sad. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So these people have had a personal encounter with the power of Jesus to transform lives for the better. They have all the evidence they need, and yet they tell Jesus to leave them. And Jesus does. Why? Why do they want Jesus to leave? Well, it might have been because of the loss of the pigs, but it seems that the the main reason was fear. Fear of what Jesus might do in their lives. And sadly, this still happens today. People come face to face with Jesus. They see clearly who he is. They understand the gospel. They recognize its truth. And yet, they fear the revolution. They know that Jesus will bring about in their lives. And so they keep him at arm's length. But what a tragedy that is, because Jesus' power, unlike Satan's power, is a good power. Jesus uses his power to serve and to bless and to make whole. His, his revolution is glorious and healing. I, I think that fear after pride is the, the biggest barrier to the gospel. 
I imagine that there'll be uh, some of us sitting here this evening. That is only fear that is keeping you from wholeheartedly embracing Christ. But there's nothing to be afraid of. Just compare verses 2 to 5 with verse 15. There is a real revolution. Of course there must be one. But it's for the better. Christ enables us to flourish and become the human beings we were created to be. He takes us from death to give us life. From slavery to sin to give us true freedom. So if you are here, can I please, as someone who's keeping Jesus at arm's length because you fear what he might do in your life, can I plead with you to stop listening to the devil's lies? Stop fearing Jesus and let the revolution take place. Yes, in this life, we won't always see full healing and wholeness. God hasn't promised us that. But by the Holy Spirit, Jesus does dwell in all his people. And he is changing them. The one whose very presence reduces the most powerful spiritual force of evil to be a gibbering wreck lives in us if we're trusting Christ and is at work in us. But fear and rejection isn't the only response to Jesus. There's also gratitude and obedience. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. If you know Mark's gospel, you'll be aware how Jesus normally commands people he's healed not to spread the word about him. Jesus spent most of his ministry in Jewish territory and he didn't want to fuel wrong expectations about what sort of Messiah he was and preempt the cross. But of course, this incident took place not in Jewish territory, but in Gentile territory. That's why there were people tending pigs. Pigs are unclean animal in Jewish thought. You wouldn't have any, any pigs anywhere in Israel. In the region of the Gerasenes and the Decapolis, there was no messianic expectation. And so, although this man begs to go with Jesus, Jesus, his Lord and Master, has other plans for him. And just as Jesus sends this man back to his home and family to live for him and speak of him, so he sends us. People need to know about Jesus, don't they? They need to know about his transforming power. And friends, it is our testimony in the home, at the school, in the office, in the hospital. They should be a very powerful one. Because these are the people who know us best. These are the people who see what we're like. And they should see most clearly the positive difference that Christ makes.
Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we praise and thank you for setting over us such a powerful and such a good King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we need not fear the spiritual forces of evil at work in the world. We thank you that the devil is a defeated enemy, and although uh, he and his minions continue to war against your church, they will never be able to snatch your people from Christ's hand. Please uh, help us to be alive to the devil's lies and walk instead in your truth, keeping in step with your spirit. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.